Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be looking back at Friday night's one-all draw against Wolves at the Cottage in the Premier League. Not the best performance, but we came out of it with a point. And Manor Solomon, King Solomon, his third goal in three games, saved the night for Fulham. And overall, an all-right point against an improving team. We'll also uh, look forward to Tuesday night's FA Cup Cup match against Leeds United. We will no doubt discuss ticket prices, as I'm sure you might expect. And we've got a load of your questions to get through before the end of the show. And I've got a great panel with me here today on the podcast. First of all, Farrell Monk, hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, everyone. Good to be back on. Next up, uh, a Fulham man who is uh, very nice, cordial, ducky, fair, friendly, good, kind, lovely, okay, superior, swell, and welcoming. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry, I just swallowed a thesaurus. It's Cam Ramsey. Hello. <laughs> How's it going, Sammy? You're right. <laughs> And finally, making not her debut on the podcast. Uh, she has been on before, but I've never had her on the podcast. It's a debut for me. Elizabeth Barnard, hello. Hi, everyone. Is everyone all right? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Great to have you on, Elizabeth. We've been wanting to get you on um, back on for ages. You came on after the uh, you, you reviewed the Fulham women's game back in mm-hmm. December and you were so awesome. We were like, we've got to get Elizabeth back. We've got to find a date in her diary. So I'm really glad we could uh, get you back on. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, this is now the second podcast you contribute to because I hear you on the Football Clichés podcast most weeks, um, Adam Hurry, uh, referencing <laughs> uh, something that you've said uh, in some way. So um, you're really spreading your podcasts um, well. But yeah, lovely to have you on, Elizabeth. And um, not a bad game to look back on. Uh, a decent point uh, against Wolves. Um, Farrell, what were the best three word reviews that came in after Friday's draw? So, um, yeah, obviously, uh, in the last three weeks, Mana Solomon has been dominating a lot of a lot of the thoughts. So we're having a lot of uh, Mana related puns in. Uh, I don't think we've had uh, Mind Your Manners yet. So that's from uh, Chicago Cottages. Uh, as you know, Sammy, I like to throw in a bit of a rogue one now and again on the three word review. So keep them coming in. I just really enjoyed D4 and D4NDB's knobhead in H3. I don't know if he's talking about himself or somebody sits near. Uh, Ian's uh, Ian Barrow boys still above Chelsea. Got to get that one in there. Keep that one coming in every single week. Um, some Paulinia related ones. Uh, John Omondroid, he's uh, he's done a few before. Paulinia's paternity leave. I really liked that one. Um, there, uh, Nathan Max Paulinia's fortnight holiday. I hope he's going to do something uh, nice in the in the couple of weeks he's going to be out for. Uh, Dale's referees Paulinia obsession. Um, but I'll finish off with a wonderful one from our from our friends Jack and Loz with Manor from Heaven. Um, it's a bit of a niche one, but uh, I think it's I think it's fantastic. <laughs> nice one. Thank you very much for all your uh, three word reviews. My mind is racing at the knobhead in H three. I mean, is that like a? I mean, I sit in H four, so he can't be talking about me. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Unless he's got his. Uh... Any of you guys sit in H three? <laughs> No, no I, H5, but H1. I, could, I could be stung for that as well, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> well, any of you listening that sit in H3, uh, they might be talking about you. Who knows? Who is the knobhead in H3? Um, let's get on to Friday night's game. <laughs> um, and Cam, like, I mean, 
I was a bit worried going into this one. I had a bit of a debate with a few people on the um, the Fulhamish community. A couple of people were quite confident. And I just had this weird feeling about Friday. I was like, Wolves are improving. I felt like... When we've ridden our luck, let's be honest, especially against Brighton to get three points that we did not deserve. And I just had a feeling this one was going to be difficult. And that was exactly the way it proved. To come out of it with a point, I actually think I'm just like, great, take it. Yeah, of course. Before uh, before kickoff and in the lead up to the game, you had that weird pity feeling in your stomach where you kind of felt like our comeuppance was on the way and we were kind of angling ourselves towards a, either a, a very, very heavy defeat or a, a quite lacklustre draw. Um, luckily, it wasn't necessarily the lacklustre kind. It was a very, very entertaining game in its own right, but it was a tale of two halves, really. Um, you know, Wolves came out the blocks firing and we barely got out the traps ourselves. And it looked like, you know, barring some absolutely unreal defending from Tim Riemann as a Diop, that they could have found themselves, um, you know, two or three goals up at the break. So we can count ourselves lucky for that. And that was the overriding positive from the first half, definitely. Um, they just looked so well drilled and it looked like every time they attacked, they were going to cause us major problems. And uh, luckily in the second half, obviously, Silver inserted rockets up rectums and got the boys uh, firing again. And it was a it, it was it was a stark contrast, really, and it's good to see Fulham with a bit of resurgence and resilience as well. And uh, we absolutely um, we we absolutely dominate proceedings in the second half. So it, it kind of went both ways for, for both teams. I don't think either side really got a, a, a good foothold and stranglehold on the game, and no neither side really took advantage of it either. Um, and I was sitting there with the lads around us and we both, well, we all looked at each other and we said, this is a very, very good point if we get away with this. And it's something we can work with as well. So hats off to uh, Lopetegui and Wolves. You know, it's, it's going to take a while for him to implement his style and to get them really up and running. Um, and they encountered the Fulham squad, which has done so well in the last couple of weeks to get themselves to, themselves to where they are at sixth position, knocking on the door of the Champions League, dare I say, Sammy. So... Who knows? Who knows? You should dare to say it. Uh, a few people, <laughs> people weren't very happy with that um, camp, but um, hey-ho, we, we, we move. Um, Elizabeth, um, the expected uh, change was Vinicius coming back into the front line. The Bobby Deckard overread experiment didn't really work um, at Brighton. And my word, I haven't seen a f- footballer as frustrating as Carlos Vinicius for such a long time. I'm willing him to do well. Just throw yourself about a bit more, man. The thing that I think Mitrovic does that what Vinicius doesn't do, Mitrovic doesn't win every header because you're not going to win every header because you might not be in the right place for it. You're also coming up against very good centre-halves that throw themselves about. But even if Mitrovic doesn't win the header, he makes life difficult for the defender by putting putting his body in the way or just getting being a nuisance. And Carlos Vinicius just isn't doing that. If the ball, if he, if he realizes oh, I can't get that header, he just kind of goes, ah, oh, can't make that one. And whilst once in a blue moon, you know, if you're really not going to get there, yeah. Okay. You're just going to let it go, but you just want a bit more out of him because the, the raw qualities are there. And he had two good headers in this game. And on another day, he could have had a couple of goals. Yeah. I, um, don't ever want to knock Carlos Vinicius because like his winner against Chelsea was one of the best moments of my year. Um, but having said that, sometimes I feel like I'm watching him playing football and he's trying to do what he thinks he should look like he's like he's how do I phrase this? He's trying to do something 
um, because he thinks it looks good, but actually it's not having much impact on the game. Like he'll go and try and block a pass or something, but he'll only half put himself into it just to be like, well, I did kind of try, um, but he's not really getting anywhere <laughs> with it. But like having said that as well, Jose Sarr is a great keeper. Um, and if he hadn't saved a couple of shots, we would be talking about Carlos Vinicius very, very differently. Um, and I'm still generally very, very pro him. Um, but he is yeah. quite frustrating to watch at the moment. As is the life of a striker. Faz? Yeah, um, I think that um, Carlos Vinicius is, he's, he's not going to live up to be Alexander Mitrovic by any stretch of the imagination. Um, is he is he as good as Alexander Mitrovic? No, we can all agree on that. Is he better than he was at the start of the season? I would say absolutely yes. However, I think Wolves um, exploited the fact that it was Vinicius or going to be Bobby Reed up top. Um, and they played with a system that sort of played into that, played into that in a way that what they did was, I know that Jack Collins talked about how their how Wolves recently have been sitting back and trying to play on the counter. And they completely flipped that on their head on Friday night by pushing us really high up and just basically saying, well, try and hit it long and see what happens. And obviously Vinicius wasn't up to the task of, of being that target man and was routinely beaten in the air by Craig Dawson. And it really, really worked for them, really. Um, and there was a couple of other occasions when especially he wasn't really linking up as well as he would do um, with some of our wingers as well, where like, there was a couple of points, especially in the, uh, the second half, when William uh, beat the man on his side and was expecting uh, Vinicius to come short for it. And Vinicius automatically just ran away trying to find that space and try and get into the box, which is not necessarily how we play when Mitrovic is there. And then there was a break in play when the, when there was those injuries and you can literally see William going, come towards me when I've, when I've got that space, I need that link up play. This is how we, this is how we're going to get forward. Um, and it, it, it just shows how Vinicius is starting to adapt to hit, adapt his style of play for Fulham but he's still not quite there yet. Um, but by all means, he's definitely better than any other striker that we've got in and around the squad at the moment. Um, you know, it, Muniz is nowhere near the level of Carlos Vinicius. Maybe he will be in the future, but, you know, does he, does he, does he strike me as a person? If he, if he goes and starts uh, on Tuesday night, or, or against Brentford if, if Mitrovic is still injured. I'm still okay with it, if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, he's got to learn that actually the most important thing that Mitrovic does is his, his integrity to our play. Yes, Mitrovic's goals are huge and we are missing them, but we have got other players that can stick the ball in the back of the net. Mitrovic's all-round team game is actually, I think, is what, like Vinicius is lacking. I'm not too bothered if Vinicius doesn't get the goals because there are other players that I, I'm confident that can put it in the back of the net. What I need Vinicius to do is contribute more to our team play. In fairness, in the second half, he got better. I thought there was a few more moments where he, he managed to just get hold of the ball and do something with it. And to be honest, his touch is very good. If he can actually get his a limb on the ball, he generally finds a player. It's just a case of him actually getting to the ball and not being beaten by the defender. Craig Dawson is very good though and very wily and, and is very experienced. Um, Cam, the goal that Wolves scored, I was just quite impressed with it, 
to be honest. I think everyone thought that Jimenez was going to go for goal with that header. It's so smart the way he, that he lays it back to Sarabia. Um, it's a nice finish. From a Fulham defending perspective, they will be disappointed that no one kind of was closer to Sarabia when he when he struck it. But it's just it's really intelligent from, from Raul Jimenez. And he seems like a player that whilst he probably isn't as good, at, as lethal as he used to be, he's still so experienced and he showed it then. No, of course. It's uh, one way to end Fulham's uh, Fulham's little stretch of three clean sheets in the Premier League, mm. really. Um, you look at it's a Diop and Tim Ream and they have been rock solid with each other. And one one sticks, the other twists. You know, they've got a good understanding of where they need to be um, in defending scenarios. But Wolves were just so incisive on the break and uh, they really exploited the gaps that we had in behind uh, you know, each centre-half to the full-back. There was a nice pocket of space for their attackers to dwell in, just waiting for that little knockdown to uh, tuck it away. And uh, yeah, Jimenez, is, he's such a fox in the box, isn't he, to use the cliche, but he is so, so clever at uh, the um, the fine arts in the uh, final third and uh, just getting off the shoulder of his, his defender. And even if he's uh, in close contention, he's just got the edge. I, I, I felt like he's a striker, which is just so awkward to play against. Um, and it was a really, really nice find out actually for uh, Sarabia, who's an amazing player in his own right too. And um, he's somebody that is so elusive and you've really got to be on top of your game if you're going to keep him quiet. And really well taken goal. I sat right behind it. And as soon as the ball came floating into the box, uh, I think it was over over our defenders' heads. I don't know who was on the back stick. I think it was Tim Ream. But you knew it was going to go in the back of the net. Regardless of how good Bird Leno has been recently and uh, you know how quick our defenders are into putting those last-ditch blocks in, it was always going to end, end up in the back of the net for us, and it just seemed like it was a uh, it was it was a long time coming. You know, even last week at Brighton, we really really had some sticky sticky patches where we could have found ourselves a couple of goals down if it weren't for VAR and offside. You know, so it was it's going to come. These are still players that. Are, They've been playing with each other a couple of months, really, haven't they? You know, half a season, still a relatively short amount of time for defenders to get used to each other and uh, their habits and to understand how they want to approach games. But, you know, it's it's, it's no slight on our defence in any in any way, shape or form. It's just very, very good attacking from Wolves and they can do that to any team. So we were lucky. I mean, ultimately, as good as Fulham are, I think keeping 38 consecutive clean sheets is a little bit unrealistic. Like at some point, Wolves did have to score. Another team did have to score a goal against us. It was it was slightly inevitable. Um, Elizabeth, one of the kind of most memorable moments, not from a good way of the first half, um, was this. James Wilson asks, can you describe the collective groan that happened in the stadium on Friday, the moment that Polina got booked? As soon as he did it, I just put my head into my knees. I was like, no! You knew yeah. what was coming. You knew what was coming. Just like, oh, Xiao, come on. <laughs> I sit um, right at the front of H1 um, and the atmosphere is a bit questionable at times. Like, you know, people are all sitting down and sitting very politely. Um, and that's the loudest that we were in the first half. Um, just a massive, oh my goodness. It was like a plaster being ripped off. Like we knew it had to come, <laughs> but oh, it does. is it painful? And it's especially painful because we've got Brentford up next like if it was a game that I didn't care so much about winning I would be a bit more relaxed about it but because it's Brentford so annoying so annoying and when you think back to some of the you know the crap yellow against Brighton I don't know if we maybe Mm. mentioned it enough on last week's podcast but it's just it's just not even a foul 
he wins the ball. It's not yeah. even debatable. The fact he got the yellow is a disgrace. And, uh, you know, my dad put it right on the point when we sat next to me on Friday. And he, at some point, if you're going to introduce two match bans on the basis of yellow cards, there has to be some sort of reprieve. If, if there has been stupid yellow cards, it, it, you cannot have a system where for one match red card bans, you can appeal. But for two match yellow card bans, you can't. Like at some point, that's just, it's just not like doesn't make sense it's just it's just illogical uh, i mean farrell the the good news from the night was that whilst we will miss polinia sasa lukic came on and whilst they are not the same player he came on and looked very impressive in that um we kind of played the harrison reed role really but you realize now that we have got far more flexibility in that position without polinia than back in um october when he was suspended for that newcastle game and shallow had to come in yeah, I'm far more confident that Lukic is 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 our option uh, rather than that debate back then, which was a case of do we play Chalaba, Onoma, or do we play Tom Kearney in a deeper role? Um, now we've got you know someone who who does have that flexibility and probably to play both of those Paulinian Harrison Reed roles. Um, I, I don't think it was a hugely impressive performance, but it was it was enough to give me some confidence that he would be able to fit in really, really well into the system. Um, whether it would be Harrison Reed uh, dropping back into the Polinia role, uh, like we have seen him so many times, and then Lukic going into that Reed role, or the other way around, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there was a, yeah. I think I think it was I think it was a good performance from him, and it's more minutes under under his belt in this Fulham team. Yeah, it's good. It's just behind that I'm a little bit worried about. Is Kenny going to be fit in time uh, to back that up? Um, and do we have anyone else waiting behind that? I, I don't know. Harrison Reed went off, didn't he, at half time, which is quite unusual. And he was playing with a little bit of a knock. And I'm a tiny yeah. bit concerned. Obviously, like he yeah. might take the cup game off um, and then have the full week to recover until Brentford. But if it is something more serious, it's Lukic and who? <laughs> like, a little bit worried about that. Bring Pad- Padraziti in. Get him in. He's, He's just been loaned cool, out. Has he been loaned out? Yeah, he got yeah. loaned out last week. But <laughs> there, there, was an, there was an option. There was an option to recall him though, if we needed to. But yeah, Padraziti went on loan last week. I will find out to who. I know Peter Rutzler tweeted it, but I don't know. Nah, man, I didn't hand. even see that. Call him back. No, yeah. that's ridiculous. Um, no, it is an interesting one, um, <laughs> what we do. I'm, I'm going to hope, though, Elizabeth, you're right, that it would make sense for me that you play Polinia and Lukic together in the cup, give Harrison Reed the rest if he's got a knock. Obviously, Polinia's then going to miss Brentford and Arsenal, and then hopefully you can play Reed and Lukic. Maybe Kearney's back by then, although the fact that he's like got something on his foot, like a um, you know one of those big boots on his foot makes me think that like him being back for Brentford feels optimistic at best. Um, so yeah, all of a sudden, actually we've got a bit of a injury, not crisis, but certainly one more injury. And then I think you are, or, or suspension or whatever, then I think you are starting to border on um, crisis. I slightly disagree with Farrell that um, Lukic wasn't impressive. I thought he was brilliant. And I actually thought he, um, he felt like a bit of a Tom Kearney. Didn't give the ball away very much. Very good passer. Um, I just thought he looked very calm and composed, particularly on his like first serious Premier League debut. I know he played a few minutes against Forest, but it was like five minutes at the end. This was 45 minutes in a difficult game in a, against a very good midfield. And I thought Lukic looked really classy. 
yeah, I mean, it's hard to uh, match Harrison Reed's work rate um, with what he offers the team in, in, in just hard yards and the mileage. But yeah, Lukic, he needs, for me, a little bit more time just to adapt to the pace of the Premier League. It's a very, very uh, unforgiving unforgiving environment in the centre of the park um, in the English top flight. We know that there's so many uh, capable, uh, world-class players that he's going to be coming up against every single week. And that's uh, no dig at Serie A either. Of course, that's a hugely impressive platform, but this is a this is a real step up for him. And it's going to take him a few more, you know, a few more appearances to really uh, to really bed himself in and to understand what his responsibilities are. But I agree. I think he got himself on the ball nicely. He spread play when he needed to. He was he, he was again he was, he was quite a nuisance for um, their opposing midfielders to try and break through him. And he was always uh, he was always within touching distance of them. So you know, they made him think about what they needed to do more than anything. And uh, the game definitely changed with those changes, didn't it? You know, there was more control. There was more command in the centre of the park. We weren't one. We weren't one one step off of it anymore. We seemed to be um, on a level playing field with Wolves, and that was down to uh, just up in the intensity in the midfield. And uh, this is a player which, by by all accounts, is going to be an absolute steal for us and a real asset too. Um, in Serie A, he can also knock away a penalty. I think he scored four of them, so that's that base covered. So I just think. Once he's uh, once he's completely integrated, and once he understands what he's got to do on the pitch every time he gets on there, and he definitely will. Um, he, he he'll be starting with Palinja. He definitely will. I love Harrison Reed. I think what he brings to the team is so unique. There isn't a player like like Harrison Reed in the Premier League, or you know, they're very few and far between because he just gets on with the dirty work. But you you see a player in Lukic, he 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 puts the you know the real hard shifts in. He's going to. You've seen it for Torino, but he's also got an eye for it as well. He's quite a creative player, and uh, yeah, very, very Kearney-esque in his own right. So, yeah, I was impressed with him. I've got no grumbles with him at all. Um, just on Adrian Pajaziti, uh, yeah, it was a uh, couple of days ago. Uh, Fulham midfielder Adrian Pajaziti leaves the club. Deal set to be signed in next few hours with Norwegians FK Haugesund on loan. I did see that. I did see that. I don't know what I'm talking about. It includes an option to buy which is a very baffling decision because I thought that Pajaziti was kind of like next in line to be moving into our midfield. So hard to know with like academy players. I thought that uh, Sonny Hilton was going to be the next Carvalho and obviously he's kind of completely fallen out of the first team picture since moving on loan to Carlisle and then picking up the injury. So a very, very odd move there, but it's really hard for us to know or have any idea really as to the whys and the whens. Um, Peter might have some more ideas. So I will ask him that on um, the Thursday club as to what happened there. Cause he seems to be quite clued in with what is happening in our Academy uh, and, and regularly speaks to Academy coaches at Fulham and stuff. So hopefully Peter might have a bit more um, news on that. Um, Elizabeth, let's move on to the second half and Manor Solomon. What a goal. What a hit. Um, you knew what he was going to do from the moment he worked in on that um, left-hand side. Robinson with a little decoy run. And as soon as he gets a sniff of doing that shot far post. He threatened it a couple of times. Remember in the Sunderland home game and he was just like inches off. I think it was also the Spurs home game as well. He tried that shot and it, I think Lloris saved it reasonably comfortably, but still you could see what he wanted to do. Now he's really got his shooting boots on and what a player we have on our hands. Three and three is, is an incredibly impressive return. Yeah. 
unbelievable. I thought it was going wide and I was like, no way is he hit it from there. And then it hit the back of the net and just like it, everyone went inside around me. It was amazing. Um, I was so excited by him. He added such a tempo to the game when he came on, really increased. Um, I sit in H1, so I see a lot of um, Anthony Robinson in the first half. Um, and that means I have a real love-hate relationship with him. But like the, <laughs> the idea of the potency of Anthony Robinson and then Malamar Solomon in front of him and the pace of that, it just excites me so much. Um, obviously, I guess there's the question about whether he should be starting. I'm not 100% sure because he works really well as a super sub. Um, but yeah, what a player. Like It's absolutely criminal. We don't have him on a permanent deal. Um, we need to get that sorted ASAP, really. Yeah, we really do. I mean, Farrell, I can't remember too many players like this that every time he gets the ball on that left-hand side, I'm standing up because I know something's going to happen. I'm on the edge of my seat and, and I love those players. And he's the first one I can remember in a long time. Look, Harry Wilson's a, a great winger. Cabano has those moments where you think he might do that. But Man of Solomon, it seems like every time he gets it, he is just tying fullbacks in knots. Yeah, the the one the, the one that springs to mind uh, when you talk like that is Luis Bermorte, really. Um, I remember seeing him for the first time and just thinking, what what an absolute live wire we've got, and what how much he terrorizes opposition defenders. Um, and you can see them as soon as soon as he picks up the ball, Mana Solomon. You can see the defenders backing off, backing off, backing off. They are scared to commit, and you know we're reaping the benefit. I think. I think Elizabeth is quite right in saying that we're not entirely sure whether he's ready to start because he did tire a little bit towards the end and his potency was was fall, was falling off a little bit. And that kind of ties into some of the comments that Silva was making afterwards that he's saying that he's still not fully fit and you know he's he's only probably ready now for an, for a 60 minute game whereas Mana Solomon on the, uh, also gave a post-match interview after the game and said how he's itching to start he's itching to start itching to start and you know that's that's just uh, some of the man management that Marco Silva's going to have to do to sort of um, integrate some of the, you know these players into the team and keep them all happy but yeah I, I mean if he's starting on the bench or he's starting on the pitch I, I, I'm sure he's going to be still very very good for Fulham really. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess, Cam, it's tailor-made for him again to get a cup start against Leeds. You'd have thought that seems nailed on. And then probably it'd be going back to the bench for Brentford. And then, you know, the international breaks looming. There, there's probably type Solomon's going to be starting within a month, isn't it? But I think Silver's wise to just use all of his wingers nice and sparingly. You know, Harry Wilson's getting cameo minutes now. The only one that doesn't seem to really be in the picture at all is um, is Dan James. He can't get a sniff. But when you've got four wingers like that ahead of you in the pecking order, then, uh, you know, it's not looking good. Um, but yes, Solomon is just sublime. And I just, as I said, Liz just says, I really hope we can sort this out quickly in the summer with, with his deal. I mean, I remember speaking to Peter about this and he seems reasonably confident that Fulham will keep Solomon that we're in a very good position it does we we said it in the summer though what a shame that we just didn't take up that option for for seven million that we had but I'm I'm confident that we will get this one across the line and he owes us a little bit for all of the kind of sticking by him through his injuries and and stuff not that anyone owes anyone anything really ultimately he's a footballer and he will go where he wants to go but I don't know why I've just got a good feeling on this one 
well, as we're recording this now, um, there's a few uh, there's a few stories floating around on Twitter, aren't there, from uh, Israeli outlets saying that we are um, we are in negotiations to uh, potentially nab him in the summer on a perm. So um, it's good timing, really, isn't it? But I just love Manor. You know, it, it synchronised bums off seats whenever he gets himself on the ball. Um, <laughs> he is just such an exciting player to watch, and you just know he's a certified baller. You know, there is nothing that he can't do. And it's just a matter of time before he really, really explodes for a good hour or so on the pitch. And uh, I want us to start fast, though. You know, I don't want us to be too conservative with our approach. I want us to go out there and hurt teams straight away and build a lead. You know, I want us to go two, three goals up at the break. And he's the man that can do that for us. He just seems like such an intelligent player on and off the ball. He knows exactly where he needs to be. And he understands the runs that his teammates make as well. I mean, a decoy run that Robinson made for his goal was, you know, that's proof enough, isn't it? They they feed off each other. Straight away, he knows that Robinson's going to get himself past the, past the defender. And he had Nelson Semedo on on skates, didn't he? You know, it, it was such a joy to see. And Semedo's no slouch either, but he made him look like an absolute moron out there. And I want us to do that from the off. So I really want him to start. And against Leeds, I think it's a great test for him. It's a Premier League opposition. It's a game which has a lot riding on it as well. Let's face it, you know, if, if we get through Leeds, then I'm sure we can go all the way. And I, I want Manor to use this as his, um, you know, a stepladder into the first team proper, you know. And I think that can definitely work if we just let him off the leash from the word go and see what he can do for 60 minutes. And if he's absolutely blowing, take him off and we bring someone else on. He's done his job then. Yeah, one of my favourite things about Manon Solomon, and like I think this is sometimes quite rare to see, is that he gives so much of himself. Like as a fan, what I want is someone who looks like they're going to die for my club on the pitch. Um, and you don't see it that much. And the way that he goes into everything and the, the way that he celebrates his goals... I just like, I'm falling in love with him more and more every day. Um, <laughs> it's like a Pelinia-like romance for me. Um, I just can't wait to see more of him, really. Considering all the, the Mana Solomon puns that we've had recently, considering his unique arrangement, I'm surprised no one's come up with Manners Cost Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Very good, Farrell. Oh, I love it. All right. Um, Fulham nearly had the opportunity to win it late on. Um, I think really, I'm, I, I felt like Cam, we've slightly ran out of steam a little bit towards the end. But Vinicius header, I saw a couple of people saying, oh, Mitchell would have stuck that away. I don't know, not 100% sure what more Carlos Vinicius can do there. He's got it on target in the corner-ish. It's a, I class that as a good save, not a bad miss, personally. I mean, it's the only time he really jumped higher than 20 centimetres though, isn't it? And you see Mitrovic, whenever he's contesting a header, last minute of the game, five yards out from the target, he throws everything he's got through it. And maybe it's just a case of Vinicius um, not being as physical as Mitrovic. And we all know that's the case anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what more can you say? It was a great save from Jose Sar at the end of the day. It, it was goal-bound. If Jose Sol was maybe a yard uh, a yard to his left, it would have definitely been nestling. But I still feel with a little bit more intent, a little bit more power running through his neck muscles, and definitely would have uh, definitely would have found the winner. And uh, he wouldn't have got the tirade that he you know has received since. To be quite honest with you, we just want more from him. And I'm not sitting here. I'm not trying to 
I'm not trying to iron him out at every given opportunity. I just don't see a very capable striker in him. <laughs> That's all. And I'm, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Strikers union over here. I know what it's like to uh, to miss a few in front of goal. I'm going to stick up for Carlos Vinicius. Oh, I know, Sammy. Oi, 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 oi. I know. <laughs> you can tell there's a frustrated winger down there and Karen Ramsey is fed up of strikers not putting the ball in the net after great crosses like uh, like Kenny Tete's. Um, I mean, Elizabeth, um, with our position in the league, another point now on 39. If anyone was in doubt that we're going to stay up on 38, are they any more secure now on 39? Who knows? Um, and the weekend's results haven't been too bad really you know Liverpool only picked up a point at Palace um, Brighton and Brentford both not playing because they were supposed to play United and Newcastle uh, Man United and Newcastle United respectively who are both in the Carabao Cup I mean we obviously need wins we've got tough games coming up but all in all it's just avoiding defeat for me really there's, there's going to be games that we're not going to win we don't pick up too many draws actually which has been a positive this season we do tend to uh, draw out wins rather than draws um, but yeah a point Gets a good team overall. I'm just kind of happy with it. How are you? Yeah, thrilled. Um, obviously not with that result, but if you told me we'd get four points from Brighton away and Wolves at home, I'd be delighted. Um, and it's a real, um, you know, it's like chalk and cheese in comparison to last time we were in the Premier League. Don't know if anyone remembers Wolves home then, um, but we were sort of in front of goal, trying to score, couldn't score. Cavalero up top. And then in the like 94th minute, let Traore through to score the winner. Um, and like, that was the moment I remember lying on the bed afterwards. My boyfriend came and like poked me and was like, you're right. And I'm like, we're going down. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Like I went in now going into games and being like, it's really nice. It A draw is not as deep as it was. Like everything can be good. Like I'm just thrilled. I'm so happy to be supporting the team at the moment. Yeah, I, speaking of that game, Elizabeth, I am... Um... I love how um, football clubs will always like post a, a good old game against a certain team um, just before, you know, get your, get your juices flowing and stuff. And Fulham posted the 2-0 win that we had over them in the Yukanovic promotion season. It was obviously a great night. Seth scored, Mitro scored. It was brilliant. And um, I, I saw a couple of Wolves fans being like, oh God, this day, this one gives me the shudders. And then Wolves posted the Adama Traore winner on their account. Just I thought, oh, I wonder what Wolves have gone for then. And just yeah. looking at it and I was like, I have mentally compartmentalize that out of my brain like that didn't happen in yeah. my eyes like a oh, horrible sinking feelings that was the one I think it was that and the um the Eddie and Ketia goal again when we um when Arsenal mm. equalized with the two that season that I was like yeah we are we are going down are we yeah the world's one was worse because it was a run of three straight defeats in winnable games and I was like yeah. oh no oh no <laughs> All right, we'll take a break there. Afterwards, we'll get into some of your questions. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Cam Ramsey, Farrell Monk and Elizabeth Barnard. Thank you to everyone that continues to support Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community, uh, which just helps uh, fund the podcast, keep everything going, keep everything on the straight and narrow. Uh, we hugely appreciate all of you who are in that community. If you want to join us, uh, hit the link in the description of this podcast. Uh, it's $4.99 a month. It helps keep everything going. It helps keep the lights on, our articles, our videos, our podcasts, etc. Um, but everything stays free. If you can't support us or don't want to, that is absolutely fine. 
all the details though on the Fulhamish website and yeah thank you to everyone who already backs us that is hugely appreciated right let's come on to some of your questions uh, lots of good ones today uh, going to start off with this one from Elliot Jeffords Cam coming straight to you as you'd actually already replied to this on Twitter uh, he says how much did we spend on uh, this summer on a new option up top uh, you've already replied one million kajillion shabu dubadibidia yen <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very, very niche reference, a, a Doctor Evil reference, I suppose, isn't it? Um, but I think I had a, one too many sherbets last night and uh, probably got a bit too, <laughs> bit too over-animated on the old... Uh, it was only out. quarter past I, seven when you sent the response. I, oh, mate, I, I start early, all right? <laughs> I start very early. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, how much was Vinicius? He was like four million quid, wasn't he, or something like that? About five-ish, yeah, four or five. Yeah, four or five million. Um, I don't know whether that's good or bad value for him, really. And maybe we could have picked up someone maybe with a little bit more uh, expertise. But, but yeah, uh, <laughs> I still think we need to be buying a player, a backup striker. Must In the Premier League, you've got to remember the Premier League as well, at least 10 million quid. You know, you've got to have somebody that can find the back of the net more regularly than the, than Vinny does. Um, so one million kajillion, whatever it was, yen. Is probably the right number if it equates into English money. So who knows? I, I was thinking about this, Farrell. Like, if we did qualify for Europe, it might justify a better second striker. As in, you would make, be able to give a better case to the second striker that you'll play quite a bit. You'll play in Europe. Mitro won't play every game. He can't, you know, we, we need to rest him and stuff. Like, that is one positive, I think, of finishing in the top seven. If we have conference league games and stuff like that and I don't think it's unreasonable to expect two high level strikers once you've proven that you're a solid Premier League team I can see why it was a bit of a gamble for Vinicius to, to sign for us in the summer we could have, be, have gone down he could have been a championship striker once you kind of got that baseline of like right we, we seem like a fairly established Premier League team now certainly for now anyway obviously second season syndrome could happen that's my only, my only logic here is that that potentially could help Fulham in the summer well, you only have to look at teams like West Ham who have been out in the Premier League for quite like a little bit and are established and they were in Europe last year and they have three top level strikers in their books in Skamaka, Antonio and now Danny Ings that it shows the difference that it can be to convince players of that quality to come to to certain clubs. Yes, you're, you know, we're right in saying that, you know, you come up to the Premier League, it doesn't automatically give a license for us to go to every single backup striker who is of quality to say, come to us, we'll give you minutes. It might be attractive for them. Um, so it is still difficult for, you know, the, the, uh, for the club to be able to, to get these, to get these players in. Um, I, I, I still think that Vinicius is fine as a backup striker. I still think he does the job. Um, is he, is he good enough to start every week? No, not at the moment. Um, but yeah, it, we have to be we have to be here for two three more years before we can get the sort of West Ham level of rotating strikers that we can do to be able to go. You know, Mitrovic has you know his scoring record after Christmas hasn't been that good. Other managers might actually say, "Well, I'm going to twist now and try out my other striker." We just don't have that option, do we? No, and Elizabeth, I guess the problem is is that we do have four kind of senior, five if you include Luke Harris, striker options on the books. Because you've got 
Mitro and Vinicius. You've got Rodrigo Muniz is out at Middlesbrough, who was not cheap. You've got Jay Stansfield, who is up and coming. It's, he hasn't set the world alight at Exeter, but he's still obviously a, a very good player, probably more likely to end up being a winger. Then you've got Luke Harris, who can score. So you've got to figure out what to do first with some of those options. A bit like in midfield, where we had players like Onoma and Chalobah. You're going to have to just have to reassess that in the summer and sit down and work out who realistically can play in the Premier League and who's actually got it because it feels like particularly the Mooners situation is a bit one it's a bit of a tricky one really for Fulham because if he can't cut it at Middlesbrough I don't think he's going to be a good back and good enough backup striker for us in Europe next year yeah the Mooners I wonder if the Mooners fairy tale is over for us um I was so excited by him but I don't know if it's gonna if he's gonna ever come back to Fulham and be that like backup striker to Mitrovic and you know start to make his way into the first team I don't see it happening. I agree. It's a really difficult situation and it is really difficult to convince someone good to come and play back up. Like that's why I think Europe is kind of the at the crux of the matter in this. Like if we do get Europe, then we can say to our backup, like you will play regularly. But if we don't, we're going to be trying to get someone good in and saying like, you might have like five or so games this season and come off the bench a bit at the 80th minute, which isn't an attractive proposition. Like footballers are footballers because they want to play football, you know? Yeah, especially if they are Premier League level footballers. And exactly. I'm sure someone like, you know, you meant Farrell mentioned the West Ham example. It was exactly who I was thinking. Because I, mean, I watched Match of the Day last night and watched Danny Ings banging a couple. Yeah. And, you know, Penny for Mikel Antonio's thoughts this season. You know, suddenly he was a leading striker. Now he, you know, he probably thinks he's a Premier League striker. Now he's third choice at West Ham. I bet he's keen to get out of there because he's like, I want to go play minutes. I'll go join he must be looking at Wolves thinking like, I could bloody do a job at Wolves considering the st- problem they've got with um, strikers and stuff. Like strikers want to play and score goals. It's hard to keep them happy and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not an easy one. Um, let's come on to this one from Chris Harris. Um, Elizabeth, I'll get your thoughts on this. It says, last 10 games, we've only conceded five goals, which is the joint best defence in the league uh, with Newcastle. Is Silver getting the credit for how he's transformed the back line? Uh, it is sensational, Elizabeth, how we've gone from early in the season that I was so worried about our defence. We were conceding two goals a game to now like even conceding one feels like a rarity. Yeah. Um, Diop and Reem are really it, aren't they? Like when we had, I really like Tosin and he offers a lot. Um, but when we had sort of like Tosin and Diop or Reem and Tosin, it, I always felt a lot more shaky. Um, and knowing that we have such good goalkeeper behind them as well. Like I never feel stressed when Leno's receiving a fast back pass or like when he's being closed down because I just know that he's going to be all right um I I know that Tim Ring can't go on forever but like why why not you know yeah um it's been so exciting and I think it's been such a relief because if our goals have dried up a little bit and if they're dried up and we'd still be conceding two again we would be looking well down the table into the bottom three, perhaps, um, it would have been really difficult. But yeah, it's definitely not talked about enough because I guess it's not sexy and glamorous to keep clean sheets. Um, But yeah, it's very impressive. Also, I guess it's a case of, if you look at our defensive record overall for the season, it's still not incredible. And and there's all these stats about XG against and stuff. And I think a lot of it's based off our first half of the season where we were pretty leaky we gave up a lot of chances and whilst that xg against is still not perfect it's like improved so much i think you can't compare fulham 
from when we had basically it was when the fullbacks were injured, wasn't it? That was, that was our big issue early in the season, and we were really struggling to keep clean sheets and keep things consistent. And also, players like Diop were just being integrated and stuff. Now we've got a solid backline. I mean, it was. It feels unpenetrable at times. A um, couple of great questions here um, about uh, Kearney. Jordan Forward says, obviously this is a different team without Mitro, but did anyone else expect to notice Kearney's absence so much? His control and vision has often made the difference in closed games. And I think we would have broken the deadlock with him last night. I mean, Farrell, um, as I say, I think Lukic is kind of Kearney-esque. Um, but yeah, it has been disappointing not to have that Kearney option on the bench because he has been so useful for us. He's been so effective for us in that in that bench position. Yeah, I mean, me and my brother said exactly the same thing to each other in the second half on Friday night. Uh, I mean, he's more of a uh, Tom Kearney standboy than me, to be honest. So he's going to mention Kearney at every opportunity. Um but yeah, like especially when Wolves were trying to shut up shop and trying to protect their 1-0 lead, Kenny was probably the best person you could bring on in that situation. It's just unfortunate we just didn't have him at our disposal. And, you know, he might have... I, I can't remember him actually starting in a Premier League game yet this season, but he's still been so integral to the success of the team this season as well. Um, and yeah, it's... It, I don't think that Sasa Lukic, although is Kearney-esque, as you're quite right in saying, he just doesn't unlock those small doors as well as the key that is Tom Kearney is. Um, you know, he get he finds that space. He very rarely loses the ball in in um, in sort of pressure situations. He progresses the ball up the pitch and really in really well. But we've been talking about this for what, almost six years now. How good Tom Kearney is, and we know how 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 good he can be. It is very disappointing. And it's just so um, annoying that it's come at the same time that Paulinia will be out for two games as well. Um, I, I hope that the magical boot he's wearing is there are little gremlins inside massaging his ankle or whatever is wrong with his foot or anything like that. <laughs> to be honest, I would gladly, I'm probably small enough to jump into that boot and do it myself. I'll offer up my services. <laughs> Maybe the boots made of that cheese that Felix McGath, um, Ooh, uh, yeah. Gave Maybe, Yes, maybe that's what the uh, that's maybe that's what's inside the boot. Maybe it's magical healing powers. Um, we've got three questions that are along the same uh, line, which is about uh, a way in for Solomon. Terry Wildman says, um, "Can you see a way we can play with both William and Solomon?" Um, Marco says, "Though he's not ready for ninety minutes." Fulham Catalonia says, "Who would you drop off the starting eleven to put Solomon in?" And Jared Bernstein um, proposes, um, "What do you think about Pereira as the false nine with Solomon?" underneath um which is quite a uh <laughs> that feels like slavicia kanovic kind of um, tactics there from jared bernstein um very uh very rogue but you know could be an option uh, elizabeth what do you think is the uh solution for um for solomon i do wonder if there is a way that of playing william and solomon but and william on the right just doesn't feel like quite as effective and solomon doesn't look like he can play anywhere else but the left yeah i would still keep him, I think, as a sub at this point. I would obviously start him against Leeds. Um, but what Marco is saying about him not being fit enough um, to play a full 90, I really believe. And I don't. I also don't think if we're chasing a game and he's tired out and it's 70 minutes and he's not giving much, like 
and we bring Bobby Decker. I really like Bobby Decker over Reed, but if we bring Bobby mm-hmm. on, like it's not offering that attacking potency that we want to see, really. Um, so I think he's best placed still on the bench. Um, and when he can play a full 90, I'm, I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I don't want him to replace Willian because I think Willian's fantastic. Um, but potentially a rotation option sort of one week, one week and see what's going on and see how Willian responds to being dropped as well. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The, the interesting thing, and it's a nice litmus test to how we fit all of those players in um, going forward, because you have, I think I'm probably right in saying that the three out and out wingers that are likely to start week in, week out are Solomon, William and Dover reed With Friday night, in hindsight, I thought taking off Dover reed instead of William was probably the wrong decision. I don't want to criticise mm-hmm. Silver too much because I think he's been obviously brilliant for us. Um, but I thought Dover reed was more effective in the first half. However, it's so difficult to take off William when he's been so brilliant throughout the season. I, I think that William was kind of off the boil in the second half, playing off the right-hand side instead of the left. And yeah. especially in the first half, I thought, I thought Bobby Reed was, was probably our most effective attacker, in all honesty. Yeah. He was linking up very, very well with Kenny Tete, and we lost a bit of that energy down that right-hand side. I think it's mainly because it looked like that way because I sit that side of the Johnny Haynes stand, so it sort of like sticks out to me a little bit more that, yeah, um, uh, maybe maybe that's an argument that if you want to start Solomon, you start Deckard over Reed on the right hand side rather than with William. But it's it's tricky. Yeah, no, completely. Uh, Brian Chapman says, "Cam, I'll come to you on this one. I- I've seen murmurings of this for a few weeks, and I've been like almost scared to to mention it on the podcast." He says, I know it's sacrilege to criticise Xiao Polina, but do you agree that his passing ability isn't in the same league as his tackling? Until that improves, I don't think any big teams will come in for him, which is good news for us. I kind of know what Brian's talking about here. Obviously, we love Xiao. And and as he says, it could be a good thing for us if it's actually the difference maker between him being a player for Fulham and being one of the big six midfield options. His passing sometimes is a bit shaky, a little bit, if we're being honest now. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's questionable. He seems to he seems to get on the wrong side of simple passes. And when he goes for that Hollywood ball, um it tend it tends to end up in Bollywood, really. Um so it's a bit it's a bit hammy, isn't it? It's a bit hammed up. Um but at the same time, it's definitely a benefit for us, isn't it? Because these big big teams are always going to be looking at every little fine detail of a player's game. And uh, obviously a midfielder's primary objective is to uh, keep keep play rotating as effectively as they possibly can do. I know that might not be the case with Palinha. He's a very abrasive, abrasive character, as we know far too well. And uh, it works well for us because uh, he's just a nasty, nasty player to have in the team. And uh, it works wonders for us when we need him to be, uh, we need him to be that instigator. Um, but yeah, <laughs> sometimes when he gets himself on the ball, you are sort of sitting there thinking, just play it safe. Just play it nice and safe for us. Just mm-hmm. don't do anything stupid. And uh, he ends up thrashing it out and hitting the uh, hitting the hoardings on the side or maybe even taking a taking a child out in the uh, the lower part of the terraces. <laughs> um, so if it if it deters bigger clubs from coming in for him, um, 
I'm all for it. He can continue with a, a 45% pass completion rate or whatever it may well be in certain games. If it, if it means that he continues to play in the black and white of Fulham, it's more than happy with that. More than happy. Yeah. Um, I saw uh, that he is the first player this season to notch up 100 uh, tackles in the uh, in the Premier League. He's now on 101, which is about 40 ahead of the next person. It is quite simply incredible um, you, you how just, many tackles. You just cackle maniacally as soon as he as soon as he sees a player's Achilles. He sort of uh, his eyes light up a little bit, don't they? And go, oh, this is this is where I'm supposed to be now. I'm supposed to be that guy's going to break your legs and uh, <laughs> just be just be a complete complete shithouse, Really, I love him for that. And we've been crying out for a midfielder like Polinia for a very very long time. You know, somebody that is just um, he, he does the dark arts so well, and uh, his passing might not be there, but I'm I'm quite happy with him being a uh, being being as terrible as, as, as he is to your position players because it just uh, it creates a little bit of uh, a little bit of entertainment for us in the stands doesn't it really I, I like seeing a player get hurt personally so. <laughs> <laughs> um, FFC Dom on the subject of Xiao Polina. Um Elizabeth do you think this is right um, Dom asks do we think refs target Xiao for yellows I'm not one to believe in conspiracies like that but even I have to admit that his yellows last night, and especially at Brighton, didn't deserve a card. Do you think his reputation is kind of preceding him sometimes? Like, yes and no. I think last night it was a yellow card tackle. Or the night before last, it was a yellow card tackle, unfortunately. Brighton, I don't think it was. I do still think it's fascinating that he's the only player to have a yellow for with for celebrating with the crowd this season. Um, like, I've I've seen... I think I saw Matoma get into the Brighton crowd and like, he didn't get a yellow. <laughs> What's that yeah. about? Um, I, but West Ham I, players will be um, completely immune from being, they, they can't get to the crowd uh, at, the, uh, at the London yeah, Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Too many bubble machines in the way. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily being targeted. I think that he's just making so many that some are bound to go a little bit wrong. And like, it is frustrating, but then Brighton's an away game, decisions go against you. As was Forrest, like I was expecting, you know, I expect to get, pick up more yellow cards away from home than at home. Final question, which I can answer. Um, Mickey says, once again, fellas, how much is a passport renewal? I've just typed it into Google. Uh, it costs £82.50 to renew or replace your passport if you apply online or £93 if you fill in a paper form. Um, you must be aged over 16 uh, to get an adult passport. So there's the answer, Mickey. Get it done. <laughs> Takes a little while. The passport yeah. office is pretty slow and uh, the European run could be starting as soon as August. So, um, mm. you know, get get a move on. I did it recently and I, it took three months. So, like, really do get on it now, I would right, say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Do we have to look up visa restrictions for some European countries now? Good point. No. Not bad. You just you just you just have to queue for a million hours at passport control. That's the only oh, way yeah. you get put. You get put in the shame line, don't you? It's like uh, here you go, nice easy EU visitors, and then here's the UK line of shame. Queue up, you <laughs> morons. Um, which um, I, I like that some countries have made it worse than others as well. Just the ones that have got a bit more spite. Right. Let's um, come on to previewing leads. Um, in all honesty, I don't think we're going to spend much time previewing. The match um, leads are in. Well, they got a good win yesterday. They've got a new manager, Javi Gracia. Uh, he finally he got finally got his visa. Um, 
I, I would imagine that Leeds, this is not their top priority. Uh, they want to stay in the league. I would have thought they will make quite a few changes for this match. Fulham will obviously make some changes as well because it's a cup game and we've got kind of injuries to contend with. You'd imagine that Marco will go for a mostly first choice lineup barring a few people. I'd imagine Marit Rodak might play in this match, etc, etc. But it doesn't feel like the pertinent thing to discuss before the match, um, really, because I don't think there's an awful lot to say, especially when it's such a burning um, ticket issue. Um, Farrell, um, I released a piece on it this morning. There's lots of chatter about the Leeds ticket prices. Um, we did discuss it a little while ago. Um, these ticket prices are not um, going down well. Um, the sales are very hard to monitor, but there's still a lot of seats um, available for this game. And it's interesting how this effectively has become... Not a protest because it's not organised. It's just been a show of apathy from the fan base that this £40 price point is just incorrect. If you want to, you know, use supply and demand logic for Fulham being able to sell out their tickets in the league, whilst I don't agree with it, then the supply and demand logic comes straight back at you for this because Fulham have just got the supply wrong and misinterpreted it. Um. The club should be looking at themselves to to see who created that apathy. This isn't just a case of what's happened in the Leeds game. This is a culmination of many years of the club going, well, if you want to come see us, this is how much it's going to cost. It's going to cost you to, to come see our club. Um, you know, creating an atmosphere of not inclusivity, but more exclusivity. And the they're now reaping the rewards of it in inverted commas um, because, you know, if, if it was that over a number of years that the ticket prices had to be remained reasonable, then it creates that atmosphere of um, people, lots of fans, lots of newer fans, lots of fans who sort of are interested in Fulham coming to more games. And the more they come to games, the more it becomes habit, and, you know, they come fully fledged to supporters, but that's just not what we've had over the years. They've just been turned off by Fulham um, because of the ticket, mainly because of the ticket prices. And you, you think to yourself that then, it, then you think, well, because of that, they're not in that habit of coming to Fulham. They're not supporters anymore. We've decided to turn away those prospective fans in favor of the, you know, people who are mainly tourists or away fans coming to the ground instead. And because of that, it's just a culmination of what, you know, that all of that has created the situation that we have on Tuesday. The club were wrongly assuming that because of numerous reasons, um, that the mainly probably because the club are doing so well in the league at the moment that they could charge the amounts that they could and the reality is that they've been so out of touch um, with regular Fulham supporters that they just don't want to go because of the because one because of the price point and two they just don't want to be exploited in in that way. You only have to look at the fact that Leeds haven't even sold out. I mean, that's just when you when you consider that Leeds, who are renowned for saying we've taken twenty thousand fans to a one thousand seater <laughs> stadium, are not even turning up for this game. It's it's just it's a you know 
any any supporter if they asked us would have told them that beforehand but they're not willing they're willing just to cover their ears and just say but look at our shiny new stand look at that look how amazing it is that's all they want to say really farrell the interesting thing is is that i don't see you on fulhamish representing the fst you were on fulhamish long before you were on the supporters trust but lots of people know that you are also on the supporters trust and uh, uh, align you with that why did the club not do the meeting with the fst last week there was a lot of people waiting for that meeting with eager anticipation to see what the club said why didn't that meeting happen it seems from the outside hugely convenient yeah and i can totally i can totally understand that for sure i mean is it it is first and foremost it is horribly frustrating that that situation has occurred with such a uh, you know, a thing that's on Fulham fans' minds at the moment. And, you know, a lot of preparation goes into those meetings from people who are sent, you know, we are all volunteers in a way. Um, you know, we give up a lot of time and, and effort to prepare for those things. And it's not just the meetings, it's everything around it as well. So for it to be postponed last minute is 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 not a good look, that's for sure. Um you know, I know that the chair, Simon Duke, uh, who was on the podcast uh, last week or the week before, um, spoke to the club leading up to it. Um, and he's more than satisfied about the reasons for it. The club did offer um, to try and make alternative arrangements quickly. Um, however, with, you know, certain people not being able to be there, Alistair McIntosh couldn't make it, for example, then we're not going to get the conversations that, we would like out of them. It's just no point having those discussions with, with not the right people there. Um, hopefully we can rearrange it quickly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a good look um, at all. Yeah. And I must admit, and again, look, I'm not trying to put you on the spot here um, as an individual. I think for me, I look at the supporters trust and and I'm fully aligned with you. There's so much unseen work that gets done by the supporters trust. You know, people email the supporters trust with individual queries and often the supporters trust go out their way for free to fix those things. So I am fully acknowledging what the supporters trust does completely quietly with no fanfare with no look at us look how great we are i do think though when you see the fact that the lead supporters trust has condemned the prices the footballers supporters association has condemned the prices and there hasn't been a single statement or tweet or anything from the fst on this i don't feel like the supporters trust is sharing my views personally and lots of other fulham fans will feel the same way totally respect the sports trust kind of got to stay kind of neutral amongst all viewpoints and there will be some people that think the pricing is absolutely fine is there any reason that you know that that like a statement or something hasn't been made or even a tweet denouncing the prices um it's quite annoying because like we've been talking about this in and you can look up the meetings uh meeting minutes who, who if you remember um and we've been sort of talking about it for some time. Like how do we deal with sort of um, things happen with the club? Should we release a statement? And we've been trying to sort of prepare for that for quite some time. We obviously just can't time it with the fact that the club absolutely slapping supporters in the face and, and whatnot. Um, I, I don't necessarily have an, have an answer, which is quite annoying, but I think we, we have a communication structure in place with the club and we were going to take those things to the club to say 
you know, we've we've taken all the members' queries, we've taken all the emails. This is what we're taking to you. Can we get a response from you? And we had all of that set up. Um, it's just unfortunate with lots of timing that if it, it looks like that we're not angry about it. But I can tell you, you know, we're all individuals on the board. We all share highly charged opinions of the club because we are football supporters at the end of the day. It's an opinionated thing. Um, and everyone thinks they're an expert, that's for sure. We all have like this collective viewpoint. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there who understand that the, it's not just the board. We represent our members, but by proxy, we represent the supporter base that we all share that we are furious with the whole situation and the club do know this. And that's, you know, that's, that's the one thing that we can get from this. It's not that the club don't know that the fan base are angry. They know, they know we're angry. We know that the supporters are turned off by Tuesday night. They are certainly know as a result of surveys that we've done that a lot of fans are no longer going to games as a result of their pricing strategy. And it harks back to their response from it from a few months ago that they said, well, it's no surprises. We know this. And we know that they're not going to change their minds about Tuesday night. They're going to try and mitigate it. This is just the new culture of the club. And we've got to, we've got to all swallow it or just walk away. Cam, what's your thoughts? Are you going on Tuesday? Have you got a ticket or, or not? Well, I can't comment on um, FST matters, of course, because no, 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 no. This is just you personally. Uh, yeah. Have you got a ticket? What do you think? Cam, right? slag uh, me off. You can, you can do it. It's fine. <laughs> no, of, of, of course, not, I'm not going to do that. Um, but no, I haven't bought a ticket. Um, I do think forty pounds is an absolute reach. Really, um, this is a one-off game in itself. You know, it's it's a big game. I know it's it's a fixture which comes around so often now. Leeds versus Fulham. It's not like it's a. It's their first visit in 30, 40 years, and it's a big occasion against uh, one of England's biggest, biggest clubs. Um, We've seen it happen time and time again, and they're going to have very, very empty pockets in the stadium. It's it's just going to be so flat. And I I just don't see the sense in it personally. And I just think 20 is plenty. The old, you know, Bundesliga mantra, I think that's completely fair for cup games in particular. I understand the Premier League, uh, it demands more in terms of revenue. But from my understanding, ticket prices, that, that it's a drop in the ocean compared to what overheads are for a club and what they actually make on match days. You know, it, it's a drop in the ocean. I just think, man, get get a full get a full capacity on Tuesday. Get get the place going for a real, you know, ding-dong of a cup tie. It's just, it's just going to fall... It's just it's just going to fall flat. So yeah. no, I'm not going to go. So simple as that. Sammy, you were absolutely spot on with the headline of your article this morning by saying no one wins out of this. Absolutely no one wins, and it's just going to be so sad when you when so many people are going to be watching on on the TV on Tuesday night, thinking I should have been there, and they're not. Um, Elizabeth, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm not going either. Um, it's one of those where, like, I live in a bit of a different city and it's a bit of a nightmare with work to make it to evening games. But, like, if tickets had been 20 quid, I would have gone. Um, it, I just can't really justify it at the moment. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of money to spend to see a game that I can watch on telly um, for a cup game that, like, might end up being meaningless if we don't progress. Like, it really disappoints me to be honest, that the club's acting like this and hasn't backed down when the sales have been so poor and the fact that they were even this price in the first place. Like, it's not fair and it's not right. Um, 
but question question for you guys if it was not on tv and it was still 40 pounds would you would you have gone no no i would have i would have watched it um but i wouldn't have gone i mean 30 Mm. quid for sunderland was still very spenny wasn't it Mm. you know that was that was still Mm. quite a lot for sunderland yeah um so yeah i i I, if if the tickets are 40 quid and went on tv i guess i'll just have to miss out (laughs) i I, i've got to point it out here that i am going on Tuesday, and a lot of people are going to be a bit surprised. Like, yeah, no, but <laughs> I'm kidding. Friends, I, I wanted to sit in the riverside. So, as soon as that, and I didn't go to Sunderland, I couldn't go to Sunderland. So, I was like, I kind of thought, right, we get to the next round, I get home, I'd love to do the, the riverside thing. And um, my dad's over 65, so his ticket is 20, my ticket's 40. And my dad was nice enough to say, let's meet in the middle at 30. So, he's paying 30, I'm paying 30. So, effectively, nice. I've made myself a 30 pound ticket by, um, kind of hook by crook. I guess this is a thing that I want to say is that there, there should be no judgment on either side as to whether you are going or not. Like no. if you've chosen not to go, I don't think you're any less of a fan. Absolutely not. I actually really respect a lot of people's principles on this. And I bought my ticket on the first day thinking a lot of people would eventually go. I didn't expect this to happen, but also I'm going and other people will have thought, well, it's a cup game and it's an important one. And I want to pen, spend 40 pounds and going like, absolutely. You do you. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you want to spend 40 pounds on the match and go. Like some people spend hundreds of pounds every game going and sitting in the, in the middle of um, stadiums and sitting in hospitality. I don't judge you for that either. There is no judgment here. The fan base shouldn't be calling out each other for whether they go or not. This isn't the picket line. Like it's mm. just, the club have got this wrong. It's a, it's a feeling of apathy that has grown in the fan base where a lot of people just seen that price and they've just gone, nah, why, why would I go? And, and I point out the mathematics in this article that I've just written today. And, and I think this is particularly telling. And I was quite surprised when I actually did the, the digging into this. So the club receives £125,000 for the fact this game is on the television. If you win a fifth round FA Cup match, you make two hundred and twenty-five. So if you win on that game, that's already quite a decent amount of little takings that you're making out of a bonus game that's not guaranteed to happen. It's not a league game. A stadium full of people at £40 a ticket makes Fulham just £250,000 more than a stadium full of people at £20 because you only keep 50% of the gate receipts. You have to split 50% of these gate receipts with Leeds United. That's how the FA Cup works. I mean... One thing, if they absolutely knew they were going to sell out, you could be like, well, I kind of understand the logic. But even if they were to sell out, quarter of a million more, you're going to make that if you win the game and you're more likely to win the game if you've got a bouncing atmosphere. I think COVID football proved once and for all Mm. that there is such a thing as home advantage. Like, because as soon as fans weren't in stadiums, suddenly away teams suddenly won more. I just think that... They, as you say, Farrell, with the headline of the article, no one wins. The fans are going to be angry, sat at home. The club's going to have lost out financially over this, possibly, especially if we don't win the match. And the most important of all, the players are not going to get the support on Tuesday that they deserve. And that's the most frustrating thing. And I would love, I would love, 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 love someone to ask Marker that in a press conference. I don't yeah. think it's going to happen. Yeah. I don't think. And even if Marker gets asked it, I wouldn't be surprised if Marker just goes, I don't want to talk about that. That's not my issue. And yeah. If he did, fair enough. I would love to know Marco's actual thoughts because I think he would be pretty annoyed by this and he'll be annoyed when he sees those. There are going to be a lot of empty seats. It's going to feel like a second round Carabao Cup match against Exeter. 
and it shouldn't be that it should be a full rocking house in the fifth round of the cup live on the telly and yeah for the club to double down on this as well with newspaper adverts really desperately trying to sell this game i wouldn't be surprised if they've been giving tickets to local schools or residents in just to fill up this stadium and it's just mad that they couldn't just take the take the hit take the l back down go we got this wrong here's a 15 pound discount if you'd already bought a ticket here's a voucher yeah. And everyone would have just gone fair play, but they just, they haven't got the humbleness to do that. The one thing that, that made me laugh about the whole situation um, was when I think someone emailed the club and the club responded by saying, Oh, we're really sad to hear that, you know, you find the tickets, the 40 pounds tickets too expensive, but would you like to sit in the, you can sit in the riverside uh, instead for 40 pounds. And it's just really funny the way they've sort of like worded the email. It's like, oh, I'm sorry you find this seat too expensive. Have you thought about this other seat, which is exactly the same price? You know, <laughs> do they not, do they not see it? The thing is, is that it's 40 pounds for the Riverside is okay value given, you know, the prices that we've seen this year. But whether you get a nice seat or not a nice seat is no just is no help to someone that wants to take a family of four and actually just can't afford that much money. I don't care if you're going to give me a nice seat. I, I just want to be in the ground. Like I'll, I'll sit behind a pillar if I have to, in order to make it cheaper for myself. Like mm. that's the thing is 40 pounds is 40 pounds. And given the fact that wages barely cover your household bills these days. And for a lot of people, their kind of bread and butter is I'll get a season ticket. I'll save up for that. That's my big expense for the year. This is a bonus. This is an extra. This is a luxury. If you, for a lot of people, I go to league matches, going to cup games and add and away games and stuff like is a luxury that I've got to count up. Can I afford that luxury? Can I afford a Tuesday night FA cup game, 40 pounds plus going up to London or especially when you've got the easy option as well of like BBC One, free to air television, not Sky, not BT, not cable, you've got to have a subscription, just anyone, anywhere, any pub is um, is, is showing it. And and it's just a clear case of um, of misreading the room. Um, Cam, Elizabeth, did you have any more you wanted to particularly add on this? Oh, I'm I'm, good. I'm just hopeful that on BBC One, somebody plays some sex noises over, over the live coverage. <laughs> um because that was really good value last time. <laughs> I wasn't I'm, expecting you to say that. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of banking on that happening again. That was a, that was elite viewing. So uh, if any practices are out there, get yourself in those studios. <laughs> on a serious point of the BBC coverage, I do hope that um, you know that they, they acknowledge if they're if they're wondering why there are empty seats or stuff, they're not saying oh. Fulham fans couldn't get themselves hyped up for this one. I hope that they do, and I think that they will. I, they they look into these things, researchers and stuff like that, and I, so I'm hoping that some context is given on the television coverage, um, because otherwise a lot of fans are just going to you know around the world they're they're not going to they're not entrenched in what Fulham debate is at the moment. They're going to say oh Fulham couldn't sell out a fifth round FA Cup match, and <laughs> I hope that they give the nuance um, to it, but they might not. In fairness, um, yeah. Elizabeth, did you have anything else you wanted to come on this? Um, yeah, just like thank God I'm going to be able to double scream the second half with Love Island. Like, you know, <laughs> important to get my priorities in order. Oh my God. Yeah. What is it? Is it a double dumping or something like that? Oh no, every night. I'm very committed. Can you, Elizabeth, can you write us one of those um, speeches that they do when you're like, could you, I could just imagine you in front of the sofa when they've got 
all and like all the men and they're like going, oh, I choose this person. You have all the football clubs like that are lined up and you've decided to choose Fulham and you've got to describe why you've chosen that. I've chosen this person because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that they play in black and white. And <laughs> <laughs> they're just so genuine and humble and like, yeah. God, yeah every night in my flipping house at the moment. Anyway, that'll do for the um, Leeds preview, which wasn't really a preview. Um, you certainly probably haven't gleaned about much about what our tactics are going to be, what their tactics are going to be. Um, but uh, Vinicius sure. Hattie incoming. Yeah. Hopefully the players on the pitch can just do the business and make this evening a positive one. I think that's what we can just all hope for. Right, that'll do for the podcast today. A very, very long one. Um Apologies if that annoys you. Uh, most people seem to give the feedback that they like the long pods. So um, hopefully that's you. If not, apologies. Uh, Farrell, what would you like to name it? Uh, there were some, obviously some very good suggestions, but I, ca- I can't see past Jack and Loz's Manna from Heaven. Um, very look good. it up if you don't know what it means. Yeah. Uh, well done, Jack and Loz. Nice to have them involved uh, with the three word reviews and um, naming the podcast. All right, that'll do for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to my guest, Farrell. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cam Ramsey, thank you. Loved it, guys. Cheers. And Elizabeth, great kind of debut, full debut, we'll call it. Well done. Thanks you. Thank you. I had a great time. All right. Uh, we will be back uh, on Thursday. Uh, should be myself, Jack and Peter. Haven't double checked. I'm sure they're around. Uh, looking back at the Leeds United game and then previewing the big one, Brentford away uh, in the Premier League next Monday. So have a great week, whatever you're up to. If you're going to the Leeds game, enjoy. If you're not going to the Leeds game, hope you can enjoy it on the telly. Um, and yeah, have a great start to your week.